if they aren't coming into teaching to change the world, then what are they doing it for? Because every time they interact with a young person, every time they deliver a class, there's a chance that that will change the direction of the life of a young person for the better. And therefore, they should be wanting to come into that. And I think that's that high aspiration, high ambition that we've got to come through. Welcome to The Visible Leader, the podcast that challenges conventional leadership and inspires you to create a workplace culture that empowers your team. Join me as I talk to thought leaders and change makers about practical ways to apply new learning and rethink the status quo. Get ready to become a visible leader in your organization. So my guest today is not normally somebody I'd encounter in my day job, coaching leaders and teams in business. So I'm really keen to speak to him because I know he's got a lot to contribute to the subject of leadership. Glyn Potts is the head teacher of St. John Henry Newman Catholic College in Oldham. And Newman is a large secondary school serving a diverse community where 43% of students are in receipt of free school meals. And Glynn was awarded the Inspirational Teacher of the Year Award in 2010. He's got a master's degree in Catholic education leadership and a second master's in youth leadership. And he's an active member of the Army Cadet Force within the Northwest. And not only that, he's a serving deputy lieutenant in Greater Manchester. And he was awarded an MBE in May. 22 for services to the Army Cadet Force and Education. Thank you, Glyn, for taking time out of what looks like a pretty busy schedule to talk to me today. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And with that kind of introduction, I feel, I feel really good. So thank you for making me feel better in, in a day when, you know, schools are challenging them themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, if that's what we achieve, I'm, I'm happy with that. that that's a good, good aim for me. Well, it is really, really good to to be talking to you, Glyn, and I look forward to hearing a, a, a little bit about how things compare between school leadership and the type of businesses that I'm normally in front of, and I think my listeners will be super keen to hear your experiences. So let's, let's kick off, and from a leadership perspective, what's the key thing or things that keep you awake at night? Well, I, th- I think the the major one is the moral imperative to do right by the children. And that comes back to the selection and the maintenance of the aim for each individual school, which is difficult. And arguably, this is where we can learn from business, because uh, it normally in the state sector, things are relatively stable. You normally get a good four to five years before there is a policy change. But more recently, We've been exposed to the very thing that business leaders have to do. When, you know, when, when I think we, we, people refer to it as the Volcker world, that, you know, yeah. the, the, and, and actually that's permeating education now, whether it be by policy or by circumstance, which means that if a school leader and if has not really clearly articulated the aim of the institution, regardless of external factors, and then can maintain that, then actually what we are doing each day is managing the school. You're not leading it. Yeah, yeah. It's such a comparison, isn't it? Actually having that clear vision. And and where where do you see that showing up when when that isn't clear? How is it showing up for your leaders? 
Well, I think in the most simple sense, it's when we just reduce education down to getting children the grade the government says they need to achieve. And whilst that, that's arguably an important element of the overall package, if we turn out young people who are not articulate, who are not confident, who are not resilient, who are not able to go into the world and be successful, then regardless of what GCSE grade they got, we've actually failed in our job. And, and what we're seeing more so now from parents and, and maybe some inclination from government, but certainly feedback from employers, is that, that because of those period of, of two years where children didn't sit exams and they were given grades by differing views, the, the credibility of a GCSE grade has, led, um, has declined. And employers are looking for the, the X factor. There's something else. You know, your grades might get you an interview, but actually we're looking for something beyond that because we, we are probably going to have to invest in you anyway. Uh, and therefore, for my leaders, yes, it's about the maintenance and, and the, the pursuit of good academic outcomes, but not to the extent that we turn our children into automatons or we, we, we forget that they are unique in their, in, their, uh, uh, in their personalities and that they all need something slightly different. And it's too easy yeah. for, for schools just to say, well, I've got the you know I've got the national benchmark for English, maths, and science. Aren't I doing well? I'm not so sure that they are. And we see that in places like Singapore, where whose educational outcomes far excess in in excess of what we have in the United Kingdom. But unfortunately, their suicide rate uh, and their their mental health crisis is far far greater and far worse than than what we've got in the UK. And we've got to strike the balance. And it's helping leaders to see the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, it feels like such a parallel to um, my last conversation with um, two people, Felix and Phil, who were working on building connection within culture and that conflicting demands, or not really conflicting, really, of building mental health. Actually thinking about that with, with employers, um, employees rather, and also achieving results so it's it's getting both isn't it it's, it's getting that balance right and obviously with your children getting that balance right so they come out with great education but also that they are very resilient and have got their kind of capacity to deal with with life um especially after how tough things have been it is but and, and there is that balance because there is there's equally um you know the, the one extreme of the of the argument is from those individuals and there are leaders across education who say this who say you know children are snowflakes i don't i don't yeah, see snowflakes in my school i i see young people who've not had the same opportunities as perhaps other generations have had but i also see them excelling in some elements that that were clearly nothing to do with my educational uh, experience. So, you know, their, their use of technology and of communication via technology, and their their um, ease with which they adapt and and consume new programs or new technology is hugely, hugely impressive. And yet, perhaps they've not necessarily got those same skills of personal interaction or emotional intelligence. And a good school will actually look at those and and balance them out a little bit. Um, so I don't buy into the idea that we've got snowflakes, but nor do I purport that we, we've got to do just GCSE exams and that's it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it fits with uh, my next question, actually. So we've got these kind of parallels here with, with, your, with our conversation. We've got a bit about how children are equipped so that they are great potential business owners and employees and all, all between. Um, 
And also you've got your teachers that are leaders within the business. So when we've talked previously, I know you said that the phrase retention is the new recruitment mm. is something that really feels right for you right now. So how how is that true for you? Because I, I hear that when I when I talk to people in various different sectors, I've got some really tough, challenging places to recruit. So you're feeling that too. So how is that showing up? I think it's showing in, in sort of three different categories. The first is that teaching is not the profession of, of choice with the vast majority of, of young people anymore. And that, that's, that's a great shame, to be honest with you. That's a national scandal because we, we are one of the few countries that face that, that significant challenge. Uh, you know, this is the greatest job on, on earth. Forgive me. I know business leaders will argue differently, but, you know, we get to craft the business leaders of tomorrow, the prime ministers of tomorrow, the, the people who will solve cancer. And out of 52,000 places for teacher training this year, only 23,000 have been filled. That that should horrify business as much as it horrifies me. The, the, the second thing I'd say about um, uh, recruitment and retention is that's been the case for a number of years. And therefore, in the past where we would have colleagues who who maybe were not as effective in their practice as we wish them to be, we would we would go through support mechanisms or they might move on. Schools now are having to make decisions. Well, actually, that that person might be better just staying because we will not get a replacement. That's not good for them. It's not good for the children. It's not good for schools or education in general. And the third is. Teachers generally are highly qualified people. They may well only be qualified in, in a particular field, but they've got a lot of transferable skills. And business have recognised that, that some of that skill set is of use in, in their sector. So we have, particularly in the younger generation, a lot of teachers who will do one or two years who will leave for better conditions. So the pay isn't really the marker uh, of whether they're going to stay in the profession because they will have a more corporate lifestyle which is uh, befitting to taking a, a young family through or they'll have the ability of doing hybrid working or um, they will just be in an environment where yes there's accountability but that accountability is is within a team ethos uh, and is, is more around performance uh, than it is around sort of what a 13 year old child will do when they're on their own in a room so those three factors mean that actually what should be the greatest job on earth is now a job that many young people do not see as a career. And the few that do choose to come into the profession, far more don't stay past year four. So we, we are in a bit of a crisis. Uh, and I know that that's replicated in industry where recruitment is difficult for them too. But actually, we, we've got to understand that we can't solve the industry uh, and business recruitment if we don't solve the educational one. And, and that can't be done by just simply saying we're going to pay teachers more because forgive me, I do believe, yes, the starting salaries improve, but the majority of teachers are paid very, very well. And certainly at my level, uh, pay is, is, is very, very good. Um, but of course, it's the accountability and the pressure and the impact on health that's driving people out of the profession. Mm, yeah. Again, there's, still, there's, there's parallels with the pull away from different employers to different areas, different types of business, subcontracting, you know, work with big IT companies and they are losing their firm staff to subcontract for that different lifestyle, you know, potentially money, but but maybe not, you know, the grass can look greener, whether it is or not is another matter. Um, mm -hmm. So when you think about your leaders and that you are 
looking at retention and maybe you've not got all the skills they need in those leadership roles within the school, what key leadership skills do you think are absent most often? Well, I think I think the first thing to say is that um, teachers get a great deal of investment in terms of pedagogical practice, uh, some um, cognitive understanding as well, but, but they get almost nothing in terms of leadership. And the majority of teachers have gone from school to college, to university and back to school. So their experience of the broader world and their understanding of how to motivate a team to achieve a common goal is really limited. And whilst they're okay uh, and, and can use great skill in the 30 children they look after in their classroom, the ability to do that with other adults is often lacking. So I'll give you an example. I've got young teachers who will think nothing of delivering an assembly to 300 children, but they will absolutely go to pieces if I ask them to talk to the staff about the same topic. So that, that idea that they are, they are intelligent, which they are, they're well-trained, which they are, but that they can then demonstrate some leadership capacity isn't as clear in education as it needs to be. And that's borne out by the fact that if you were to look on the Times Educational Supplement, which is sort of the, the industry leader for, for jobs, and you look at leadership positions, then there are, there are 3,000 vacancies using the term leadership across uh, the sector, which for secondary schools means one post per school. Yeah. So you're seeing this transferable skills not happening. There, there is this block with actually using that and there's an absence of that training and the development. I mean, that's so common. So many people I see have been promoted to leadership role, but actually never had any training. So... You're, you're seeing it. You've got your teachers that you're wanting to keep because mm. you want to retain them. What have you done that has overcome this this absence within the teachers and leaders? Well, I mean, the, the, the teaching fraternity is supported by what we call national programme qualifications, which are, in effect, um, skills-based courses. And whilst they are useful and helpful, they don't actually support the leadership development. So one of the things that we do in our school is we've invested quite heavily in um, coaching and two types of coaching. First, performance coaching in terms of the classroom, but then secondly, uh, development coaching in terms of of leadership. And that's now um, embedded across all levels of the school, regardless of your position uh, as a teacher. The second element that we do is we've worked with uh, external leadership providers and purposely chosen to go beyond education. So we don't want a former head teacher who's going to come and talk about leadership. We want to talk to uh, business. And and the the argument I talk about with my leadership team is, if the best businesses get hold of the best leadership providers, why can't we? Uh, And actually, with the exception of perhaps some financial restriction, we are choosing some phenomenal leadership uh, support programs external to education, which gets our leaders of the future and our current leaders to think far bigger than what they were originally perceived to be. Uh, and that includes some, some very uh, detailed sort of 360 reviews from their peers. But more importantly, I go back to those things about mission. Every school has a mission statement, but not every school revisits it and not every leader can articulate it or demonstrate it in their work or their impact. And that's the kind of space we're in. And we've been very lucky to find a leadership support um, external to the school who brings it back to this agenda all the time, alongside things like 
it's you know teaching is a a challenging profession but we don't want to upset each other and and it's trying to get them to understand it disagreeing does not mean you are going to upset you know you, you can't be responsible you, if you articulate a concern in uh, in good faith and in, in, in a polite language and someone takes uh, is upset by that that is their issue that's not your issue and if it's in the best interest of achieving the mission then you have a duty to express it that we are we are just starting to push on which leads to some of that sort of uh, change curve challenge that you would expect but I know we will be better for it because it's about trying to get all of my leaders to understand that it's not about them individually. It's about the, the, the institution, the benefit we bring to the children and how we live out our mission. And if we're not able to disagree politely and then find solution, then we're likely to very, very slowly go further down into inadequacy. Yeah, absolutely. Having those conversations. How far along the line do you think you are? Have you got any stories of things that didn't get talked about and the shift that you've seen? Yeah, I, I, I've got sort of three phases. And I think we, we, it's a six-phase plan that we've got. And phase one was exposure. It was making sure that leaders understood where, what my expectations were, where I wanted to take the institution and therefore their role in it, but equally for it to be unthreatening. And one of the people that you know I, I read quite widely and I have great admiration for is Brené Brown and trying to share that that information in an unthreatening way. The, the second phase of this was, you know, I, I started at this school in uh, in 2004 as a teaching assistant. When I started in 2004, four members of my leadership team were still on the leadership team then. So, you know, whilst I've gone through sort of nine different sections of promotion, that they, they've stayed static. There's nothing wrong in that, but I do want to know that they are in the right seat on the right bus contributing not that they're just holding on to a position and stopping what could be a more effective process. So that did lead to um, three members of a leadership team of 12 moving. One stepped off leadership, two moved into different leadership posts where they're thriving. So it was sort of moving musical chairs, moving people around to be in the right positions. The third phase of it then, uh, which is what we started last year and we're going to continue this year, is around that professional conflict which is a word they don't like in education, conflict. And, no, and I underst- no, no, I, I can understand <laughs> it has connotations. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but professional conflict should not and does not mean personal conflict. I'm not going to talk about whether I like what you're wearing, but we're, we're, we are in education, so very polite with each other, rather than um, being equipped to be able to, to say what is needed to be said. And, and we're in that stage now um, or, uh, to be able to... to um, sort of equip people and and we've done everything from using uh, anonymous sort of um, screen shows to get people to put comments up about where they feel the school is and that was very telling because there was a there was a consensus amongst the leadership team that we were not as good as we thought we were uh, and yet that wasn't being articulated in meetings through to uh, where we are now which is about to undertake a bit of a review of leadership because Whilst we've done 360 reviews in terms of uh, emotional intelligence and interactions with peers, uh, as a leadership team, it was almost the unspoken thing. We don't talk about whether we're effective. It's about what other people are doing. Well, actually, no, that's that next stage now. You cannot lead in a school if you're not an effective practitioner in your own classroom and you are effective at leadership because actually then you 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 are contributing to that weight that stops the school moving forward. And so we are about to engage 
in a, um, a review of are we as a leadership team individually and as a team effective? Lovely. So many interesting directions you've taken that um, from getting that alignment to really focusing on the things that matter and the, getting the right people in the right places. Mm. Sounds like you've added things in as a leadership team, but it must be that you've realized some of the stuff as leaders that were happening were not adding to that picture. What, what things do you think people have stopped doing to enable them to be able to do more of the stuff that you've just talked about? We were a, a brilliant school at being busy. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. we Olympically good at being busy, but not necessarily focused on the right thing. And that goes back to the selection and maintenance of our, of our aim. So there was a number of, uh, of colleagues who would bring countless reams of paper, you know, and, and come into meetings with folders and all sorts of evidence of how they've been busy, but they were neither leading nor doing what was effective for the school or for our direction of travel. So we, 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 we have a phrase now, which is how are we working? And, and any member of the leadership team is allowed to just voice that. If they think there's a concern that we're either not meeting that aim or we are becoming um, good at being busy and therefore managing, then we would ask, you know, how are we working? How are you working? And it's that, it's that doorway for people to try and reflect. So we, we've, we've had to build that into our common parlance because, again, you know, this is not going to change overnight. And the majority of people will always go back to their position of comfort. And their position of comfort is likely to be that which they've always done. And, and that's not really where, where I see the school going. Um, the second element is when we talk about the selection and maintenance of the aim, I've made it really, really clear to, to leaders what my, my vision is for the school. Uh, and I'll share it with you now, um, but it's worth to give a little bit of context. You know, so it's a 1,512 um, state secondary school with a Catholic denomination in Oldham. 43% of my children on free school meals. We have the highest number of children with special needs and children in the care system in, in our school. So we really do serve um, a very challenging community. But equally, we have children turning up in Porsches. And then we have children who parents we have to feed before we can speak to them about the, the challenges they face. And that, that means we've got that real breadth. And I wanted to be able to articulate our mission in such a way that I, I instilled it in both but everyone from the, you know, the lollipop lady all the way through to the deputy head, but then it could be challenged back and almost never be achievable. It's got to be just out of reach. And so our, uh, our vision, we call it our North Star, is that we use our vocation of teaching to give an unfair advantage to our community, ensuring that no door is closed. That's really wordy. But in essence, regardless of your role uh, in school, you are a teacher. Every interaction between an adult and a young person in this school is a chance to change them for the better. Uh, and, and we know that people who come into education are never going to be millionaires. And therefore, it's a vocation. They don't just do it for the salary, because if they did, let's be honest, they'd probably move on. So it is vocationally driven. And then that unfair advantage is a lot of my young people don't get some of the experiences that their peers get. Um, perhaps in, in more uh, affluent areas of the country or private schools. And I challenge leaders to say, why not? Uh, you know, uh, why don't they? Because actually that's our problem. It's not their problem, it's our problem. So things like they, don't get, they didn't, I should say, get to go to the theatre. They didn't go to uh, museums or visit cultural sites. Well, that's now embedded across the school as an expectation that they will do that and not that that cost is pushed to parents. And then the no-door closed is the most contentious one of these because... Regardless of, of, of who you are, um, 
your GCC results will give you a platform for what you can do next. But that will mean sometimes for some children who don't do particularly well that doors close to them. And my argument to the staff about this is it's our job to say where where is the path you want to go and how do we make sure that those doors are open for you? Because for many of our children, they will not have the all doors are open but they will have a, a, an understanding and ambition and aspiration of what they want to achieve. And it's critical, therefore, that the doors that relate to that individual's pathway are not closed to that young person. What I love is how ambitious it is and how plain speaking it is. You know, it's mm. not jargony and it's not, doesn't sound sound bitey. Um, and that, that aligns to thinking about the businesses I work with and the visions they have that, are beyond the boardroom, you know, that, that beyond the bottom line. It's it's more than that. It's about how they're going to impact that wider environment. So it's great to hear your ambitious vision and mm. hear how you're trying to make it happen. And given that um, you are doing things differently, really, mm. you've talked about Brenny Brown. And I know when we spoke, there were a couple of other names that um, – of the influence, the approach you're taking. So what have been the key books or theories that you've been implementing in your work? So I'm, I, I'm a big fan of Brené Brown, and I do believe emotional intelligence and emotional leadership is, is, is a, 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 gig, a big part of that. And um, I, I also feel that, you know, the, uh, her book on called Dare to Lead, about brave work, tough conversations, whole heart, is where education needs to move uh, and, and move more rapidly because of these challenges. And so, you know, put, put really simply, you know, on Saturday, I'm going giving a conversational conference to, I think about 400 people who are joining teaching profession from industry. So usually a little bit older than the normal teacher. And, and, and really, if they, if they aren't coming into teaching to change the world, then what are they doing it for? Because every time they interact with a young person, every time they deliver a class, there's a chance that that will change the direction of the life of a young person for the better. And therefore, they should be wanted to come into that. And I think that's that high aspiration, high ambition that we've got to come through. Equally, I've, I, I want to change some of the culture within education. So we're very hierarchical. Where titles mean a great deal to people. There's a huge sort of um, market around labels and titles. And for some people, they will move a job for a better title, even if it's not for better conditions or pay. And that resonated with me with um, the David Marquette book, Turn the Ship Around, because you know, that, that's education in a whole. The head teacher saying we need to have assemblies and then the deputy head saying we need assemblies on this and it, and it sort of goes down this chain and just becomes leadership through, through management and it's management in proxy. And actually what we want to have is to change that system so that people feel equipped and empowered to make the changes they need to make within the confines of the vision that we set for the school. And that's a really difficult one for us and I'm not suggesting for one minute we're anywhere near solving that. But why should the head of geography feel the need to justify buying 25 new textbooks to my head of finance? It's, it's, it's their budget. Let, let's think about why you're doing it, what the impact is. Argue that. Don't argue permission to have that signed off. And yet education's full of those kind of uh, issues. So very much around David Marquette. And then uh, a chap that I, I think you've spoken to called Neil Jurd, who um, yeah. is one of the, the – his book on, on leadership, plain and simple – is important to us because some of the uh, the pictures and some of the techniques in there are now embedded in our school. So in particular, 
uh, change curve. That, that's something we talk on uh, regularly. But equally, the sort of transactional leadership, um, uh, you know, parent, adult, child, uh, those kind of elements, whereby we use those tools to put a, a, a lens on our, our work and where we're going. And those three are sort of the, the trinity, if I can say that as a Catholic school leader, um, <laughs> the trinity of, of our, our leadership work uh, as a school. And yet for myself, you know, I, I'm now moving into broader work and broader, broader reading, uh, particularly around business and goal setting uh, and how you create cultures of, of high performance. So they are things that traditionally education may not, may not be involved in, but certainly um, I read Atomic Habits because I thought that that was a good way of, of looking at my own leadership and saying, how do I reta- retain my resilience? But then, of course, um, looking at um, James Kerr's book, Legacy, on, on the All Blacks and how they created a culture. Because I think, again, in education, you get it across the board in a staff room. The certain teacher sits in a certain chair and they get the certain mug. And, you know, that, that, that cultural knowledge may well be important to individuals, but it's not important to the institution. And it's about sort of, sort of saying that, you know, time served does not mean you get better chocolate or you get better brews. Time served means you should be putting into the next generation to improve the system even more. So that's where, you know, I'm taking legacy as a bit of a, um, uh, a stab at myself to say, what am I doing to give back and to make that apparent? And just just to coming back to some of the leadership theory that you've been putting into practice, thinking about people that might be listening to this, people in business that have read Turn the Ship Around and they think, yeah, I like that in theory. It makes sense to me. What would you give tips on where to start? You know, think about what you've done over the however long you've been trying to make that happen and getting success with it what would you say is a good starting point well I, I think you know I'm a big fan of uh, Socrates you know know thyself so certainly um, you know I, I, I was a reluctant head teacher I was a really really happy deputy head teacher the head who was here last in, in, in 2017 2018 left uh, and it became about you know do I want to work for someone else or do I want to lead this team that I've invested all this time in uh, and, and who I believe are uh, you know the hardest working team in education and, and I decided I wanted to do it but what I I didn't know what I didn't know about my own self because there had been no opportunities in my educational career to be surrounded or tested in a way whereby my qualities and skills uh, I had to defend or, or demonstrate it was all around achieving results and so I think if you, as a leader, if you don't know yourself and know your own vulnerabilities, then you are pretty much just preaching uh, an approach rather than living it. So I know full well, you know, for rightly or wrongly, I can be quite an emotional chap. Um, you know, I, I, I have highs and lows and I have to work, therefore, on trying to stay within a narrower band of emotional um, demonstrations, really. Uh, and, and it was really important. I, dem- I shared that with the team and said, you know, sometimes, you know, um, I, you know, I can struggle. But but I also say that leaders set the weather. If the leaders are laughing in the rain, then everyone just thinks it's okay. But if the leader is all glum and angry, then it, it has impact on others. So the ability to know yourself uh, was the first challenge for me. And it's one that uh, I will never really complete. But I, I know now. I am stronger and more resilient than I was previously. Um, on the days now where it feels like it, the impossible is here, uh, it is 
about stepping back and finding, okay, where do I need to find my inspiration from? And connecting with people, particularly those who are not in education, who achieve so much, you know, that is a motivator. Um, and it allows me then to engage with my leaders in a way where I, I have empathy for them, but equally I have examples of where I've been in a similar position and, and can advise on what they might want to look at differently. Lovely. Really good place to start having that humility to reflect on yourself and your own practice. And I and I love that you shared it. I sometimes have people do work on themselves and they they may well get results from some sort of psychometric or 360, but that next step of being able to share so that they can see what you're working on and what you struggle with, it's the best way to take it forward, isn't it? Well, I, I, yeah, and it, I mean, it's, it goes back to one of Brennan Brown's points about the, the armour that we all wear. Um, and certainly, you know, as a head teacher, you are heralded by the parents and the children, and there is a, there's got to be an air of mystique about you, you know. You hear it every day, you know, staff will say, uh, you know, the head teacher will, will speak to you or you, know, you need to go to the head's office. And, and, and I didn't want to erode that because I know that's culturally important to, to education and to, to our school. But, but I do need and did need to be expressive with my own team that, I, you know, I, I, I do feel that I'm not enough. I do have imposter syndrome. I, I do feel uh, areas of vulnerability. Um, and, and actually, you've got no reference point um, to be able to take that other than an Ofsted grade. And, and that's flawed massively. Um, so, you know, I, I have to be honest with my team about what's happening with me. And, and I hope that they are replicating that with their teams because it certainly builds those um, emotional bridges. Uh, and as I say to them, if we're not able to do that, then everything that's in your head will not go via your heart. And then what will be in your hand will be just this very, very flimsy idea. What a lovely place to arrive. Anything else when you think about the people that might be listening to this, people that are trying to put things into practice and, you know, they're listening, they're feeling inspired. Any other pieces of advice or wisdom that you would think would be worth them uh, looking at? Yeah, there is actually. And, and uh, actually, this is something that education is really, really good at, um, which is how we connect with other people, usually through social media or with um, uh, things like podcasts, is we form what we call uh, either teach meets or, or um, learning groups. And so for me, you know, there is a group of about 3,000 head teachers and we will share podcasts or we will share articles and it will generate 30 or 40 comments and it will generate people saying, why don't you come and see me because I'm doing it that way. And therefore, you are always... Uh, having access to someone who has got a uh, a better version of the problem that you're trying to solve and that generates a little bit more confidence but equally well that, that comment about being vulnerable and, and being an imposter I'm yet to meet someone who doesn't say yeah yeah I feel that way as well so listening to podcasts uh, is, is great for you it's great for the individual but I'd really say you've got to contribute as well you know, sharing about a podcast or an article, whether it be LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever it's called now, generates discourse. And it's that discourse that the golden moments come from. Your, your own reflections and learning and listening to a podcast might be great, but it's how you turn that into a positive action. And you really get more traction from that when you involve other people in that conversation. Lovely. That peer support as well. And I, I think it's great what you said, Glenn, about imposter syndrome. I I wouldn't like to meet somebody that didn't have 
imposter syndrome at some level. I think they wouldn't probably be the type of person you'd want to have much to do with. I think it's a bit of a quality, really. Obviously, it can be a bit overplayed, which isn't great, but when it's used as a positive, I think it's really valuable. But the peer support thing is really important too, and doing something with it so that other people can benefit is a great message. Thank you, Glyn. It was great talking to you. A real pleasure. I've got lots of uh, inspiration and ideas from you, and I'm really glad we got to speak. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Visible Leader Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest episode, hit the subscribe button. And I'd love to hear what you think, so please leave me a review. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to me, Corinne Hines on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.